Ladies and gents, thank you very much for tuning in yet again. And this time you will listen to my interview with Luke Kite, the head of culture at Redico, which is a digital SEO agency. And following a cultural revolution, Redico was named as the fourth best place to work in the UK in 2020. And it was that cultural revolution at Redico that I wanted to find out more about from Luke. And very early on into my chat with Luke, I realized there is no way I can do it justice in just one episode. So rather than even try I just let it run. And that's why this interview is actually in two parts, in two separate episodes. In part one, we look at the reasons Redico wanted to go through this cultural revolution and become a self-organizing company. So everything about how it started, what it looked like in terms of introducing a new structure, removing managers, introducing flexible working and unlimited holidays. And part of that discussion is also the recruitment process. In part two, we continue talking about the recruitment process, especially the onboarding of new people and getting them used to self-management, setting their own targets, and working in this type of environment. I also asked Luke about things that haven't gone exactly to plan and what they've learned from all of that as part of their journey to becoming a self-organizing company. Here's part one of my interview with Luke Kite. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. Luke, welcome very, very much to uh, the podcast. I'm really glad to have you. I'm going to start with my usual question for all my guests, which is when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, hello, and first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's it's great to be here. So I think when I was little, there were a few things I wanted to be, and, and what really sticks out is either a teacher, which I'm really glad I didn't become a teacher because I just don't have the patience for it anymore. I think I would. I'm just not 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 fit for sort of classroom life anymore. So I'm really glad to go down that route. Um, but actually, now one was a writer and, and being an author, and I remember being really little and writing all these stories about cowboys and aliens and policemen and all that kind of stuff and I think I even wrote a series where my dad was some James Bond type character um, trying to save the world and all that kind of stuff and having to read all these stories to my mum so I really wanted to be an author and I ended up studying journalism at university and sort of becoming a writer in my early stages of the career so I suppose I kind of got to got to that point uh, uh, one way or the other um, but that was probably what I wanted to be. Do you get to utilise any of your writing skills in your role at the moment? Yeah, I'd say so. So funny enough, when I actually first joined Predico, um, the company I'm in now, I joined as a writer um, and ended up leading a content marketing team and, and building that out before moving over to the role I'm in now. And even today, I still write a lot um, in, in that type of role and also write for the Corporate Rebels, which is a, a, a kind of um, a culture-based, a radical approach to how organizations could evolve and could work so I wrote articles for them as well so I'm involved quite predominantly still in writing and trying to do that so I don't lose lose touch of it. It's fascinating how when the things that we we do we don't when we do them we don't necessarily see how they might come use become useful and come in handy in in, in the future and 
only when we look back, we actually utilize it's kind of like Steve Jobs said, connecting the dots, you can only do that looking backwards. And I find myself uh, in a similar situation, because I studied to be a teacher, never wanted to be one, but did study to be to be one. So that's kind of my initial background at university. And then I went into event management, which then is project management, and so on, and so forth. But now I'm kind of back into full circle, because I'm doing a lot of kind of work, for, workshop facilitation, workshop design, which takes me back to what I've learned to, to do as, as uh, kind of when, when potentially I was going to become a teacher, which is quite fascinating when you when you look at it that way. Corporate rebels, you say? I'm actually, it, they came up on my radar a few weeks ago and I need to, to read the book. I'm very, very intrigued in the work uh, that they do. So you're a contributor to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I started putting articles together last year, sort of end of last year. I've, I've been following the website now for probably a couple of years now. And the, the, the two guys that run it just... It's amazing, really, just they go around the world um, speaking to CEOs and these companies, they're really radical, different things, which is really right up my street there. And so as we'll kind of talk about a bit later on, all the stuff at Redico, I try to take a bit of a radical approach and a different way of, of introducing things and different ideas and concepts. And a lot of that has been inspired by companies such as Corporate Rebels and these amazing sort of businesses that, that take, take these cool ideas. And I think now that we've got Redico to a place where actually we are quite radical, some of the ideas and some of the things that we do are, are really good to sort of share on the corporate rebels and hopefully inspire other companies and, and other well, potential CEOs and people that are based in sort of culture type roles. Uh, but they're really exciting companies to work with. And kind of the whole purpose of of having you on here in and and in and kind of getting getting you to to join the show is to talk about Redico and the stuff that you've been doing. But I thought before we get into that, maybe you could tell us a little bit more how you get to become uh, or get to the role that you're in now, which is the, the head of culture for Redico. What was kind of your, your journey up until now? Because you've been with the organization, my gather, for, for a number of years through different posts. How kind of, how did that evolve for you? How did you get to this point? Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of a strange journey, I suppose. Again, it all led through from me studying journalism and initially wanting to go into journalism and join a national newspaper or to be a sports writer or something like that when I was at university. Ended up becoming a writer and a copywriter joined Redico as, um, as a copywriter back in 2014, I think it is, so around seven years ago now. And Redico was growing quite quickly. I think I joined the team when there was only sort of four or five people at the time, and we were just starting to grow quickly. Um, we were starting to pick up sort of plenty of awards for different things and, and bringing people into the team. We started to grow out the content team. And I suppose I was in that fortunate position where when you're with a company at the very beginning and that company starts to grow, you have to you often end up with a lot of responsibilities outside of your normal role. So even though I was leading a content team, I was also doing a lot of stuff from an operational standpoint and directly working with the MD to help change this process or drive this forward. So I was already doing bits where it wasn't necessarily related to writing or driving that department forward, but helping the wider business as well. And I ended up developing a bit of a knack just for getting things done and just being able to kind of roll things out, whether it was new processes or anything like that. So I moved into more of an operations role. And then it wasn't until 2017, 2018 that the business wanted to really change the, the culture, I suppose, of, of, of the company and, and really look at things that we can do differently. And that's when essentially the managing director came up to me and said, look, we've got this idea. And we think you'd be the best person to lead this forward. And at that point, I just switched, I suppose, role entirely, just led, decided to lead this, this culture, or this people and culture area of the business, just to, 
I suppose try and radically change the way we were doing it and moving from very traditional ways to, to more sort of self-management sort of methods. Uh, that is that is a fair bit of journey and I, I can I can tell you a person who I'm definitely able to relate to who likes to do all sorts of different things and does just, just doesn't concentrate on their on getting their job done but other things kind of in the periphery and I think that's kind of where these transitions into roles that you would never expect it, that's when it happens because somebody points out so actually you're pretty pretty good at it why don't you do that a little bit more and I think it's a fantastic skill to have and I really enjoy talking to people like yourself uh, about these journeys okay let's talk about Redico a little bit more I purposefully did very little research just so I can learn from you directly on what is Redico. I know the basics. I know you're obviously a an SEO agency, but with a slightly different one in how you do things. And I know that you've placed fourth as the best place to work in the UK in 2020. Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization? And then I'd really, really like to know a little bit more about the culture and the decision that the organization took. But the organization first, can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So does it make sense, I suppose, to start from the beginning and where we were and why we made the changes and, and how that looks now? So, I mean, as, as a business, we predominantly are, are based in digital marketing. So we work in, in SEO and we've got lots of SEO clients, which for those that don't know, is search engine optimization. So it means that we essentially help businesses have visibility on Google and different search engines. So that's what we do on the day to day. We were founded in 2012, so just under 10 years ago now. We are 10th anniversary next year, I think. And we, as a business, obviously started to grow quite quickly from sort of 2014, 2015 onwards, sort of doubling, tripling in, in team size. And we got to around 2017, end of 2017, around sort of 15, 16 people. And at the time, we were still running in a very traditional way. But we had tried to focus on creating a fun place to work. So like you, you tend to get in many businesses now, we had like pub lunches and a table tennis table and an Xbox people could use and all that kind of stuff and a beer fridge. And we would have regular company events and we'd go out and we'd do you know, like something like paintballing or curling or the crystal maze in London, all that kind of stuff. We even went on an annual retreat. So we go every year, we've been to Budapest and Barcelona, we've been skiing, all that kind of stuff. All of these really fun things to do. And for a long time, that's what we thought having a, a good or a great place to work was. It was about this fun element. And it, it still is. Like, there's still a lot of a lot around sort of bringing fun to work and making it enjoyable and making work more fun and making the office a fun place to be. But there were all of these kind of problems that started to accumulate. And we started to do sort of surveys amongst the team using sort of the MPS formula. So again, if people don't know what the MPS is, I can quickly explain it. So you send out a survey and you get a score back of zero to 10. And the idea is, is that all of these scores combined give you an overall score between minus 100 and plus 100. And it puts you on a range of somewhere between sort of poor and good and excellent and world-class. And when we started doing these scores with the team, we were expecting to get sort of an excellent or something like that because we were spending all of this money on creating this great, or what we thought was a great place to work. But the reality was we were finding that we were only placing in, in the good, which was around a 40. And there were a number of detractors in the team, which means you score between zero and six. So I think around a third of the team at the time was, was, was a tractor or, or a passive, which for us just didn't make sense because it felt like we were doing all of this stuff to promote a good culture, but it just wasn't working. But when we started to dig into that information even more, we realized there was all of these microaggressions, like when can I 
leave the office or come to the office or why does this person get to come in at 10 o'clock and I can't? Why does this person get to leave at two o'clock in the afternoon, but I can't leave at two o'clock in the afternoon? Or why is there one rule for this person and one rule for this person? And there was things like micromanagement, there are things like clicks forming, all these things that you get as a business starts to, to grow and scale, all of these kind of problems that happen. And there are things that happen in, in, in pretty much every business. It's a very traditional thing that happens as the company grows. These problems start to, to, to gather and it's usually try to sort of fight fires as you go along and you know, take each other apart the top and try and fight fires um, and, and, and solve these solve these issues. And it was at this point, so sort of 2017, it was like a breaking point. Either we could continue going the way we were doing and stay very traditional or we could change things. And it was the directors of the business that looked at this problem and thought, we want to change this going forward so that we're not creating a fun place to work, but we're creating a great place to work and a culture that's essentially just the best there is. But to do that isn't about the table tennis table or the beer fridge. And so the directors went out and started looking at or looking for inspiration of how they could run the business or change the business framework to accommodate this. And this was essentially like a fact-finding exercise, going out, speaking to different CEOs, similar to what the, the corporate rebels do now, but speaking to different CEOs and businesses, reading books about different ways of running things, trying to work out how we can move away from being very traditional, which is the way that most businesses are run, to one that's actually getting the most out of people and, and putting people first and really believing the best in people and trusting people and, and all these things that a lot of businesses say they do, but often don't. And it's often a tick box, tick, sorry, tick box exercise. And so from this, from this, all this research, this manifesto was created sort of, sort of back in the 2017. And it was a manifesto that initially covered sort of six core areas that we wanted to change as a business. And some of them being um, as simple as the teams that know their own goals, some of them being as complicated as removing managers and just not having managers at all in the business. Things like having the ultimate flexible working policy where you can choose when you start, when you end, how many hours you work in a day, how many days holiday you take every year, introducing things like kind of missing a holiday, saying that we'll pay people for every day they're sick rather than having a, a limit, looking at our recruitment and making sure that we can bring in people that are going to work well in this type of environment where people are going to have a lot more responsibility and a lot more accountability. And there was at this point when this manifesto was created that, as I kind of alluded to at the start, the MD essentially came up to me and said, look, I think you're going to be the person that can help to roll this out and to drive this change. And so over the period of, of nine months in 2018, we started to roll out this, this manifesto, these, these six big areas that wanted to change. And from that, have just continually evolved from, from that culture. So some of the stuff we put in in 2018, there were teething problems as you get with everything and some things didn't quite work and needed to be tweaked and changed and adjusted. Um, some things worked really well, absolutely seamlessly and haven't changed at all since. And we've also added lots more to it as well. So when we first started this journey, we weren't really, we weren't deliberately trying to move down a self-management route. It was more, we've got these ideas that we think will empower people and give people more accountability but there isn't really this end goal of self-management and later on I've read books around sort of the, the principles of Till which is Frederick Leloo and reinventing organizations and things like that again something that's covered a lot by, by companies such as the corporate rebels um, things like that and it's all of these ideas and ways of running the business which are very different from the sort of hierarchical traditional businesses that, that you get and it's just a, been a continual evolution by speaking to the team, asking the team what the challenges are, what the pain points are, addressing these issues and 
trying to just create a, a business where essentially you're believing the best in people and you're believing that people will do the right thing. And taking flexible working is, is and I suppose, a good place to start because to say to people, you can take as much annual leave as you want and you can start when you want, you can finish when you want, you can work the hours you want as long as you get the job done. It's so much trust needed to be able to offer that type of policy. But by believing the best in people and, and trusting people to do that, you can do it without having any kind of reservations at all behind it. And this leads us on to things that we do now where we remove budgets and we say, there's a working from home budget and you can spend whatever you want to, to go out to work from home comfortably. So whether you want a desk or chairs or, or cameras or um, new microphones, whatever that might be, you can spend whatever you want. You can spend whatever you want on training. So if you want to train yourself up, you've got a career matrix, you know what you need to do going forward, you can spend whatever you want. And, and this type of stuff wasn't in the original manifesto, but it started to evolve from that. And this led to us becoming the ninth best place to work in the UK in 2019, I think. And then last year, as you mentioned as well, sort of then becoming the fourth best place to work in 2020. So hopefully this year we might be number one. But if that, I suppose that gives a bit of context behind sort of the why and, and the initial how. Hopefully that kind of summarizes it quite nicely. That's that's it summarizes it beautifully, and it's a fantastic story to actually to hear that back in we were saying 2016, 2017, you were already decades ahead of the organizations that we even have now. There's been a little progress within organizations that happened in that those four years, but even now with that progress that happened, you you still back then you were you were much further into the future and how to run organizations. And it's actually a joy to listen to that because this is I believe that organizations like Redico are the organizations of the future. That's how we should run companies in the future. We're not just there yet because obviously there's a transition period. We need to undo some of the business practices of the previous few decades. And that's going to take a while. So many things I want to get into there. But there's the one thing when just to kind of start unpicking things. The the most fascinating one that I, I face so often, I hear people mention so often is what company culture is. And you mentioned that you started off, you thought it's going to be the retreats, the you know, ping pong tables, free coffee and things like that. When actually there's deeper things that constitute what that make a culture and funnily enough a few weeks ago i put up a post on linkedin that just said company culture is and isn't and isn't and in isn't column was free food coffee bean bags and ping pong tables and in the is column it was managers who listen and meaningful feedback growth and trust and i just asked a very simple question do you agree or you disagree it was a little bit of a trick question, and I'm, I'm sure you, you, you kind of alluded that to, to that as well. It's, it's not actually one or the other. It's a mix of both. It's just finding that balance that works for you and within your organization. And it's by, by far has been the most popular post that I've ever put on LinkedIn because it's generated so much interest and people have so many opinions. And we have a misunderstanding of what culture is. We think it's these easy to like things, easy to like behaviors, but actually it's some tough conversations that we need to have and deeper things that go into that. And it's actually fascinating to hear that you are, are going beyond the usual research because a lot of organizations will just put out a survey and get the results, maybe dig a little bit deeper. But you actually not only dug a bit deeper in kind of seeing what's going on, you went further than that. You ask additional questions to kind of get to the bottom of that. And then you made the changes, which is 
where majority of organizations don't even think of going. So that's one part of, of kind of what you what you said. The other thing that I wanted to ask you is, because obviously you, you mentioned the manifesto, a number of things that you did do, and some of the things that you weren't expecting that you're going to do, but it kind of just evolved itself. But out of the things that you focused on initially, uh, what was one of the most important ones? Not in terms of what you think was going to make the biggest difference, kind of in, in terms of scale, but actually what brought on the biggest difference? What was the biggest difference maker? I think the biggest difference maker was, in terms of instant win, was just flexible working. And not just flexible working, but having a system where you are completely responsible for how, when, where you work. Because I think there's a, there's a, there's a big difference and a lot of companies now trying to almost jump on, on the flexible working sort of wagon at the moment. I know the pandemic has shifted. I mean, it's a good thing that it shifted a lot of mindsets. And I think that it's kind of helped. Um, one of the only positives really is that it's helped businesses to see that people can work just as effectively, maybe more productively in different locations rather than being in the office between nine and five. And actually there is other ways of, of working that are just as effective. But I think there's a difference. I, think, I know some companies sort of say, well, we have to, we have, we're going to have core hours so you can start between this time and this time and finish between this time and this time. But what we did was rather than just having going from kind of being traditional to just a bit half-hearted, it was let's start treating people and for me that helped to i suppose drive and and spearhead kind of all the thinking and the decisions we've made since then which is just how can we treat people as adults and ultimately when you think of adults they're people that can make their own decisions they're people that know what's best they know how to manage themselves they know how to kind of organize themselves and, and work in a way that's right for them and when it comes to flexible working and, and, and the way people work is everyone's very different. Some people love to get up in the morning and can crack on at sort of seven, eight o'clock in the morning. I can't. I need a, a few cups of coffee before I find any productivity. I, I hate getting up too early. It's completely against my nature. Um, but some people like working late at night and they're night hours. And actually they find productivity at six, seven o'clock, maybe even midnight. We've got developers that work at the company who... Um, are often working at 10, 11 o'clock at night because that's when actually they find that productivity. That's when they, their brain really kicks in. And when everyone is so different, why do we why do we say that you have to work in exactly the same way? And we don't give people those options and that opportunity to work in a way that's right for them. We say you have to work nine to five, five days a week. Uh, you get X amount of holiday, X amount of sick days, X amount of breaks. You, you can't do this, you can't do that. Rather than trusting people, rather than treating people as adults. And I think... With the flexible working, it sounds like one of those things where lots of stuff could go wrong. And in my head, I'll be honest, when we first rolled this out or when we first decided to look at it, I couldn't really get my head around it because I was thinking we're going to have, at the time, sort of 20, 25 people maybe working 20 different working patterns, taking holiday whenever they want to, approving their own holidays, so not getting anyone else to approve it. Maybe they're working in the office, maybe they're working from home, maybe they're working for a cafe, but that just sounds like bonkers it sounds like it's not able to there's no structure to it you can't control it no one's going to know where everyone is and in my head I couldn't quite work out how we were going to roll this out without it just just falling flat completely and just not working but it's one of those it's the thing that probably has worked the most seamlessly because you say to people you've now got that responsibility to work how you want and they take that responsibility and they run with it and they talk to their team and they collaborate and they let people know what they're doing and they 
speak to their clients and to their team members and everyone's always aware of what's going on because you're treating people as adults and because people are adults and because you're giving them that trust to do it. And so you went from a place where you had to come in between X and X and you had to do this, you had to do that. It's just complete radical freedom in how you work. And those, those three concepts of trust, freedom and responsibility, I think are the three words that do define culture. And it's how much of that, how much trust, how much freedom, how much responsibility can you give people? And that's what defines that, that business culture and how successful it is and how much value people see in it. And so I'd say that that really did kind of set the tone because it was it was kind of a case of, yeah, we're going to treat people as adults. So everything we do now, every decision we're going to make, the question is going to be, like, how do we trust people to, to do this going forward? Like, how can we give even more trust to people? How can we treat people even more as adults? Um, so that really did kind of set that early tone. So in in a way, a very small thing, small change of in, in perception, in mindset, in approach, that it made the fundamental difference that empowered people to take autonomy, to take initiative. And I guess you relinquish that control, which is something that we do as humans, I guess, uh, we want to control things. And that then uh, goes into our, our, how we run our organizations. We want to have control over what's going on, that we are in charge of what's happening of our own destiny. And if 2020 doesn't show us that that's not the case, that no matter what you do and how much thing, control you think you might have, then 2020 comes along and tells us no, actually, no. I don't think there's there's any hope for people, organizations who, who kind of don't change and don't recognize that. Yes, try and exercise some control, but you have to be prepared for the unpredictable and let things just happen. And within what you can do pro- probably is have some uh, guardrails, if you will, to kind of have that margin for error for people to operate for organizations to operate and so you mentioned that you've removed you kind of you got rid of managers you've you've changed your structure can you tell me a little bit more how how that worked in terms of kind of what the process was and what your structure is like now yeah sure so again this is one of the the early things we did um, as part of that original manifesto and the idea came from the concepts that a typical manager has two different sets of skills that they're expected to, to, to have, I suppose, these, these types of attributes. And so you've got two roles that manager plays. You've got role A, which is someone who is the expert in that area, in that, that field. They've, they've got a high skill level. The chances are they've been doing that job for a while. So, for instance, if we take uh, my old position, which is a writer, for someone who is, it could be like a, a content manager or a content marketing manager, chances are they're, they're highly skilled in that area. They've been doing it for a while. They, they know their stuff. They've got that competency side of things. And then you've got role B, which is a completely different set of skills, which is the, the actual leadership side of things. So it's how good is someone that's empowering or motivating or supporting or coaching other people. And so often in businesses, we promote people to positions of management based on role A, about how good they are at the job. So if you've got a, a, in a sales role, for instance, you've got a, a sales team and every single month someone absolutely smashes their sales, they hit their targets, they do everything they need to, they build great relationships with their clients. The sales manager leaves. People internally apply for the new sales manager role. The chances are the new sales manager will be the person who's the best at sales. It's going to be the person that's actually that's hitting their targets. And it seems quite natural. But then if that person's not particularly good 
in terms of like man management and being able to coach and support and empower, you could create an unhealthy team where they're not getting that support or they don't feel like their manager's the right person. And there's like crazy stats where 49% of people leave their job because of their manager, because of their boss. And that's like one of the number one reasons that people will look elsewhere. And it's, it's one of those things that we didn't want to have as, as an issue at Redica. We wanted to make sure that, that first of all, people felt like they could advance their careers without becoming managers. Because again, another problem is that to, to get anywhere, you have to become a manager. So again, doesn't make sense because if you're really good at what you do, why can't that be good enough that actually being really good at what you do is like taking on more responsibility, becoming more, more senior in that role, getting more experience, more expertise, a better, better skill set without having to manage other people. So we wanted to separate entirely the idea of people being good at their job to having to manage other people. And so what we did is we introduced two new roles into the business. So we have almost like a department strategy, which is the role A, which is someone that is got that skill set, got that experience. It's going to be required to help grow a department, to help sort of push that forward, to understand sort of when recruitment's going to be needed. We're going to need to bring in new people into the team to help with a growing client list, or that might be almost kind of the, the brains behind that department, uh, pushing it, growing it forward. And then role B being completely separate as well, which is a coach. So again, people that are good at motivating and supporting and empowering and, and helping other people. And the, the, the important bit that we have with this is that anyone in the team can choose their own coach. Because again, someone that works well for you might not work particularly well for someone else. Um, so it's all about choosing your own coach, the person that you think would be really beneficial to you going forwards. I mean, over time that has kind of changed around and we, we've moved things to kind of address various issues that, that, that came up. So the original concept kind of was tweaked a little bit and changed over time. Uh, and obviously where we are now today, it's more based around self-management. So we've distributed responsibilities amongst the team. So what we realized was that the, the lead type role, the strategist type role, uh, was still handling a lot of things such as like mediation that came up in a department or um, probations or, or or if there was any issues that came up that like, had to do with kind of non-performance and all that type of stuff. And so we did an exercise sort of last year, which was everyone in, in, in every team going through a list of responsibilities and working out who the best person is at doing that responsibility. So you've still got the, the strategy type person who's going to grow that department, but then someone else completely could be the one that deals with mediation. Someone else could be the person that deals with onboarding. Someone else could be the person that deals with probation. Someone else could be the person that um, deals with like training and, and extra support in, in that team. And then each person's got their own coach as well. So it's, it's separating those responsibilities, creating these teams that aren't focused around doing what a boss says or, or just following the manager and what they're doing, but creating these sort of accountable teams that work together, essentially self-managed, can help to kind of drive through change and come up with ideas and are more self-sufficient rather than just working for one person. And so that's kind of why we did it and that's where we got to. And it's just it's just meant that people have just been able to take on more responsibility. And I, I keep saying the word responsibility because it's one of the ones I think is, again, like freedom and trust, responsibility is such a big thing. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we're all adults and we all want to have more responsibility or most of us want more responsibility and that freedom to dictate our job. Um, and we've got to a point now where people can dictate their own career. So we have career matrices in place, whereby this is the skills and experience you need to go from a junior to a midway. This is the skills and experience you need to go from midway to a senior, all built out into tiers, and having salary brackets assigned to them as well. 
and people can just manage their own career matrix. There's no one else sort of telling them what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. But it's kind of saying, look, you are now responsible and accountable for managing your own career. If you want to advance through this and, and progress your career, this is how you do it. Like you've got that template and it's up to you. You haven't got a manager telling you sort of how to do it and making sure you do it. We remove things like annual appraisals as well um, at the same time, because annual appraisals are one of those things that people often dread and fear and um, are not sure what to expect from them. And instead introduce like these sort of coaching sessions that happen on a quarterly basis, um, talking about more positive things like aspirations and success and what you want to do next and where you want to go rather than what haven't you done or what went wrong or what failed or what you need to do to improve things that a typical management appraisal meeting might might run. And I know I'm stereotyping because that's not the way that absolutely everything runs. But unfortunately, when you have a, a management structure in place, the chances are there's always going to be a few bag eggs that kind of, de- de- sort of demoralise people, demotivate people. And that's something we want to avoid. And what has been the impact on the organization in the sense of performance and the growth of the organization kind of because ultimately majority of organizations or we measure success in our organizations by growth by number of sales that kind is the easiest way to measure growth but we know that that's not the only as by one of one of the factors one of the one indicators that we can use how what has been the impact on on redico in terms of all these changes how has that impacted the growth and the organization and how it is today yes there's there's quite a few metrics really that i can point to so first of all in terms of financial side of things because that's what a lot of people be interested in is the the financial side and and revenue's gone up over 60% over the last two years. And profit's gone up over 40% over the last two years as well. We also do the client NPS. Uh, so similar to the team one, we do the client one on a quarterly basis. I think when we started this journey, we were yeah, around sort of 56, which comes as an excellent on the, on the NPS uh, sort of scoreboard, which again, it, we've always had a, a sort of a really good relationship with clients, we've always done amazing work. But since this rollout, that's jumped up to a world-class score, which again just shows that the, the more accountability, more responsibility, the more empowerment you give the team, the happier the clients are. It's kind of the happier the team, the happier the clients, that, that old kind of saying, I suppose, that it goes hand in hand. So that's jumped up as well. We also last year won the, the best small SEO agency in Europe award, the European Search Awards. So again, testament to like the work that people are producing in a structure that's very non-traditional and, and, and very kind of radical and different in its approach. And then and then obviously we've got the team happiness ones, which are backed up by the Great Place to Work Awards and our internal NPS also been at a world-class level for the last eight quarters, which shows that this is the structure that people want. And this is the way that people want to work and where they've got that freedom, they've got that trust and that responsibility to really drive change. Obviously, to be in this place, you have to have the right people on your teams to be able to do that. How has your recruitment process evolved or changed to to get the people that you need who will fit into the not having managers, being a, basically a self-organizing company? Has that changed drastically? What's and if so, how what, what exactly did change? Yeah, so funny enough, it's one of those things that. We haven't quite 100% nailed yet, but we're getting closer and closer to it because uh, there's been a lot out there recently, which is sort of saying how you shouldn't hire for for fit and cultural fit and things like that. And I don't know whether I agree or disagree. Um, Like it's one of those things I feel like you need to find someone that aligns to the company's values um, and needs to 
especially in the way that we work, it's not necessarily about having someone that looks like us and says the same thing as us, but someone that can manage themselves and, and, and can be accountable and wants to also work in that environment. Because as you, as you say, there, there are people that actually might not want to have that. They might want a more of a structure to what they're doing and a more of a, a clear linear pathway to becoming a manager or moving through the ranks, what that might look like. And so the biggest change for us is, I suppose, first of all, just having the values of the business in mind throughout the process and sort of thinking, is this person sort of lining up to those values? But also introducing a cultural stage to the process as well. So once we've got the, the competency signs of, of something tipped and we know this person can do the job um, to whatever level it is they're being hired for, whether it's a junior, a midway, or a senior, whatever that might be, they then go through like a cultural interview process. And that's changed again over time in terms of how we do that. But what we've settled on recently is something where it's almost like a mixture between a, a scare them away type environment, but also trying to see how open and honest and reflective they can be as well. Because we've also got a, I suppose, we've also got a culture where lessons learned and mistakes aren't frowned upon. It's like people openly talk about things that have happened and what they learned from it and, and can reflect and be really honest and open with, with themselves and the rest of the team as well. And so it's kind of broken up into a number of stages. So the culture into the first part is like a series of videos which explain how Redico works. And it's like, this is the business. This is how self-management works. We have things like the advice process where anyone can make a decision that's in line with their responsibilities and their role. They don't have to get approval. They just have to ask people for advice. And this is how that works. Um, and things like this is how the, the managerless environment works. This is how that, that runs through. And this is what the, I suppose, this is what is expected of you. Because we're, we're conscious that it sounds like a utopian environment where people can just sort of come and have holiday and work whenever they want and just get all these lovely rewards and treats. And it's all like, sunshine and rainbows and all that kind of stuff so we feel like we have to be quite not brutal but clear that these are the expectations that are going to come with this role um, and that you are going to be responsible for managing yourself and your time and your work and your clients nobody's going to be telling you what to do no one's going to be looking over your shoulder like you are you're not left on your own because we've got support that you can get support and lean on people and all that kind of stuff but ultimately like you have to take on a fair chunk of responsibility yourself so it's kind of a, I suppose introducing Redico in, in its culture interview but then also doing um, different sort of looking into like personality type models not to see whether someone is the right personality for what we want but ones where they kind of talk about blind spots and different areas that they could work on going forward and again opening up a chance for reflection and self-awareness so then we can have in this interview like a real open discussion and for instance if I'm talking to someone in the team like it's uh, sorry talking to someone on, on the recruitment process I might be saying look so when it comes to my personality I'm more of a, a driver and I, I like to get things done I'm, I'm good at sort of just just ticking things off working for it I like to have a plan and just execute it I don't work particularly well with people that ask lots of questions and want to stall projects all the time and want more information because I'm just it, 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 I get irritated by that and that's that's how I see things and we're encouraging other people then to be really open and honest with us and saying, oh, this is, this is how I work and this is what frustrates me or this is how I don't work as well. And starting to, to, to find out how open and honest people can actually be on, on this interview and making sure that they're, they're kind of uh, sort of sharing those, those values and kind of open 
teams and, and are ready to kind of embrace the, the culture that we have, as well as being able to work in a, in a self-managed environment. Uh, so there's lots of different bits that we're sort of testing and trying with that. And we've got a, a system in place where if it doesn't work out, we will help you find something that will work because we're, we're, we're very clear that Medicare is not right for everyone, which is absolutely fine. And if it's not right for you, that's fine. And we will help you kind of find the next your, your career, wherever that might be with a different company. And in the past, we've done things like set people up with our in-house recruiters and we've, we've helped them to get their CVs right. And we've known that they've been going up to have job interviews and we've put them in touch with other people that we know have been looking for sort of similar positions. Um, and we said to people, look, you, you, we'll help you over sort of a three-month period to, to find a new role and to move on in a, a real amicable way, but we're helping and supporting you through that because we know that Redco is not an environment where everyone can thrive all the time and that some people won't like it, they won't enjoy it, but we'd rather have those open, honest discussions about that rather than um, not having it, someone just sort of sitting there, not enjoying it and not doing anything about it. And so it, I suppose it comes in both ways. It's opening up that recruitment to make sure that people know what to expect and we know what to expect from them and we know that they're going to fit those values and the way that we work and, and what those expectations are but also saying that if it, if it doesn't work then we're also going to help you as well um, we're not just going to kind of leave you out to drive we're going to really support you through this and in terms of the the, the process and how you screen for all of that the, the description you you gave is absolutely fascinating how many stages have you got so when somebody comes across a position at Redico what do they need to do what what happens that could you give us a, a high level overview of what stages or how many stages there are and what the stages involve yeah sure so there's not actually that many stages so the, f- the first bit is just a, a pre-screening um, type thing that you would have with our, our in-house recruiter and that would just be asking various questions about the person making sure that, that they know what to expect and that they've got the skills and the competency for the role and all that kind of stuff making sure that the values alignment there'll be some questions around values and sort of trying to sort of dig a little bit under the surface to make sure this person's not just trying to get sort of a, a free ride with flexibility because sometimes people do ask sort of like the only question I'll ask is so how flexible are you or how much holiday can I really take and it's like okay like the warning signs are already kind of starting to so come on a little bit that actually maybe this person's not quite very right for us I said that we, people I, I want to be clear as well because that sounds like um, I'm saying people can't take holiday since we introduced this like holiday has gone up like 40% or something amongst the team since we introduced Unlimited. So it's like we absolutely have the capability of taking annual leave. So I just want to make sure that I don't, don't get the wrong, the wrong message across. And then once they pass that pre-screen interview, it's um, a, a general first interview with whoever it is that a hiring person might be. Um, again, competency-based, making sure that they, they've got things in place that we would need from that particular role. Following that, there might be like a technical task that we ask to go away and, and produce something and present back to a few people in that department to make sure that they're going to be right for that role. And then the final stage, which is the fourth stage, is that that culture interview. And so beforehand, they'll get an email that are linked to like all the videos to watch, sort of these Loom videos, which explain a bit more about the company, as well as like different exercises around sort of personality, and sort of values alignment, and what our values are, and what they think would sort of what they would be able to embrace straight away, and what might be more challenging for them. And then that's then a conversation they have with sort of three or four different people in the team from different departments where everyone in that conversation just has a really good honest conversation about it just to kind of I suppose uh, it's it's a really good chance for the person that's joining to find out 
what Renico is really like for the people that work there, rather than just the person that's hiring or the couple of people that might be hiring. But actually asking questions like, what is it really like? Like, how hard is it? And it's that opportunity to kind of say, look, it is going to be really hard. And like, there is a lot of challenges that come with the way that we work. But at the same time, it is going to be really rewarding. And this is why, and this is the, the benefits that come with that. And if you think you can manage that, then it's, it's obviously the, the perks that, that come with part of the job. And just, just making sure that person really does align. So it's a kind of four stages, I suppose, which is probably slightly longer than, than most businesses. But for us, we just have to make sure that we get the, the right people in because it's one of those things where a few got bad eggs can really kind of disrupt a culture in a business. And it's, it's, you just have to make sure that that people are going to really align and, and be on top of things. In part two, we continue talking about the recruitment process, especially the onboarding of new people and getting them used to self-management, setting their own targets and working in this type of environment. I also asked Luke about things that haven't gone exactly to plan and what they've learned from all of that as part of their journey to becoming a self-organizing company. Make sure to check it out.